Welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast, the podcast where we discuss a variety of justice-related issues affecting the world over a cup of coffee. How are you? How have you been these last few months? Has lockdown life been kind to you? Have you learnt any new skills or rediscovered an old hobby or something? You finally got to know your neighbours? I'm really sorry if you've been struggling. I know many of us have. Well, I'm pleased to say that we've got a really positive podcast to share this week. I recently got the chance to talk with April Tam Smith. April is a friend I've known for a couple of years now, and she is a real inspiration to me. April is one of the most joyful, generous and compassionate people I have the privilege of knowing. By day, April works for a large financial institution on Wall Street in New York City. And by night and weekends, holidays and any spare hour she can find, April runs P.S. Kitchen. P.S. Kitchen is a vegan restaurant in downtown Manhattan, which provides jobs for people who need a bit of help. These might include the long-term unemployed or former victims of domestic abuse, ex-convicts, and P.S. They give all of their profits away to local charities. April also sits on the board of a number of charitable organisations and is involved in building schools in the Democratic Republic of Congo and providing jobs to women in Haiti in yet another amazing non-profit venture and lots of other great stuff. April and her husband Graham challenged themselves to live a life of radical generosity and demonstrate this not only by giving the majority of their salaries away every month, literally, but also in many other aspects of their life, which you're going to hear about shortly. I hope you find my chat with April as uplifting and inspiring as I did. April Tam Smith, welcome to the podcast. Welcome from New York. New York, New York. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. I mean, it's so fun to do this with you. I know. This is cool, isn't it? So it's morning time in New York now. It's a late afternoon here, but I'm thinking you've started the day with a coffee. Tell me you started the day with a coffee. I did. Great question. Yes, I started my day with a coffee. Uh, from Rwanda, actually, uh, we are starting to launch a coffee at PS Kitchen from Rwanda, coming from a all women co-op. That's just a beautiful background itself. Created so many jobs. Anyway, so yeah, I've been doing some marketing research, and I have ordered a few Rwandan coffee from the internet and trying out different things. Rwandan coffee is delicious. We had one on, or we still got one on, but yes, uh, close to Lake Kivu, beautiful um, uh, Arabica, sort of high altitude, very sweet, very fruity, citrusy, packed with flavor. There's some sort of wine notes in there. There's some toffee notes in there. There's all sorts of good stuff in Rwandan coffee, and I love it. I actually am drinking Ugandan coffee today. Okay, gosh, one day I hope to know as much as you do about coffee. The great thing is, is it's a long journey and it will never end. I, I'm still very much a novice, but uh, it's, it's packed 
with um, interesting data and information. But enough about that, because I know we only have a, a certain degree of time together, a limitation on our time, and you're a very busy person. You've already started the morning with a, a board call on a Saturday morning. What, what was all that about? Oh, it was lovely. It's funny, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, how do you do, you know, have a day job or sit on five boards and run a restaurant or whatever it is? And I honestly genuinely think I get more energy because I get to do these things. It's, it's really something that I get to do, not that I have to do. And I feel like they're really life-giving what I get to do. So for example, I was really excited about this board meeting. Um, it's for an organization called Justice Rising. It's one of the organizations that we fund at PS Kitchen. Just getting to hear about our updates. We have three schools, PS Grace, PS Kindness, and PS Justice that we're about to launch. And I can't believe from funding it, buying the land to building it, it's actually going to start taking in kids like September 5th or something crazy like that, September 7th. And it's just really exciting. And so, yeah, just to tell you a little bit about them, they are an incredible, seemingly education organization, but also it's really a peace-building organization. And they focus on areas like the Congo, Syria, Iraq, where they want to use education to really, yeah, build up the locals and building peace. There are a lot of stats that have shown if you educate probability of having wars and violence reduced by like half and when you empower people to a different way to live and choosing forgiveness, mm. ending cycles of violence, it's just so powerful. So yeah, I'm really passionate about it. Amazing. We've jumped, we've jumped right in there with the uh the current day example of what you're up to but if you were so let's stick with current day if you were to give me some sort of uh, sort of linkedin profile description mm. of yourself you know how how would you describe what you're up to what life looks like yeah what life looks like um i often say well by day i um I'm an executive on the trading floor. I've been there for 15 years. I do equity options, volatility swaps, et cetera. Uh, but by night, I co-founded a vegan nonprofit restaurant that have a strong focus on employing people who are either coming home from trafficking or coming home from prison or homelessness or various kind of challenging backgrounds or just being immigrants, like my own story. And also, I get to um, sit on the boards for a few different organizations that I'm really passionate about, such as work that we're doing in Haiti, in Congo, also locally, uh, in and out of prison. I always say that, you know, my day job really doesn't define me, but maybe even it's broader than that. I think when I think about the job, quote unquote, that God has assigned me, but maybe it's not even just about having a restaurant. I always say it's this idea of affirming significance and making people feel seen. So you mentioned in that summary that you used the word immigrant. So why don't you tell us uh, how you define that and what that means to you and, and your own story of, of, of immigration and coming to America? Yeah, thank you. Um, so it actually ties 
really quite significantly into my giving story too. You know, people asking, why did you choose to live in this way? Um, as you may know, we've um, chosen a more unconventional way of thinking about our income, our lifestyle, and all of that, and why we want to create an, a social business on the side. So going back, even more than just when I was born, going back like 50 some odd years, um, my mom and her, er, and her two sisters were born in China, just like my dad was. And it was a really, really difficult time for the country. A lot of people were living in extreme poverty. And there was also this cultural revolution that was going on. And my mom's dad was actually semi-senior within the government and knowledgeable. And a lot of time people were having major crackdown. And he was framed for supposedly having stolen 300 rooms. They literally were saying, we didn't do this. Like, please come to our house. And you can see, you can't, where am I going to hide 300 rooms? Which is to confirm that's worms, like wriggly worms in the ground worms. No, uh, brooms, like to clean the floor. Oh, brooms. I yeah. Thought, I thought you said worms. I mean, yeah. broom, broom, brooms is equally bizarre, but worms would have been... It's just as yes, bizarre. I mean, neither are worth anything. So he was framed that he had stolen 300 brooms. And long story short, he ended up going to some re-education camp in China, which is obviously just a nice way of putting um, essentially imprisonment um, to some like 250 miles away from his hometown. And weeks later, the brooms were found, just like he had said that they were going to be. And at that point, they said, well, it's too late. We had already sent him. So the concept of injustice is almost just kind of ingrained a mm. little bit in our family. But also the the concept of gratitude. I share that also because not just from like, this is really heartbreaking in, in just kind of perspective, but in also in a weird way, why I live with such a deep sense of gratitude. My mom was the youngest of three girls, but I mean, she and her, tw her sisters were 10 minutes apart. So she's barely the youngest, but she was the naughtiest. And her mom felt so bad about leaving this ill-behaved girl with the neighbor at five years old. My grandma decided to take my mom as the youngest, naughtiest girl to Hong Kong to try to make a living so that they can send money back to China. And just because of that, you know, our lives turned out pretty differently. My mom did start working pretty early. She started working actually when she was 11 years old, same age when I got to move to the U.S. But at least because of that, she was somewhat educated. She got a chance to meet some people when she was in Hong Kong, which then subsequently, years later, when I was 11 years old, was the connection that allowed us to move to the US. And I think even simple things like, why did I get to stay in school when my mom couldn't at 11? You know, why? And even just as an Asian woman, I know all too well the amount of girls that are given up to orphanages in China because of the one-child policy, the amount of girls that are trafficked that you and I have talked a lot about in Asia. And, and I just know that everything that I have, there's nothing that hasn't been given from God. And it's easy sometimes living in New York, let's say, or working in our industry to think, oh, but I worked really hard for this. And that is true, but that is just a small percentage of everything else that is so out of your control. And that's why 
you know, Dr. Tim Keller says it's the idea of justice. It's really just literally the fair thing to do. Yeah, I like I like that word fair. I think justice is such a loaded word, and it means yeah. totally different things to to different people according to their experience of justice. But I think most of us understand what's fair, and it's mm-hmm. almost it's almost part of our makeup, isn't it? As children, we know when, when something is not fair. Yeah. And, uh, and I think fair is actually a great way. It's, it, that lens, putting, some, putting that lens on it is still, it's still applicable to the world of justice. This is just not fair. I don't think it's fair that your mum was working at 11 years old when um, so many children, quite rightly, should be receiving an education. And there's something about that that's not fair. We want to change that about the world, wouldn't we? It's interesting yeah. how when you look back at your life, you think that what you're up to in the present day, the recent manifestation of these things are actually planted, like you recognise, in your past. It's not even before little April was born. But let's, let's, so let's get to that first stage. You, you've come to New York. You've, your parents have taken this, this, I imagine, a risk in, in leaving behind Hong Kong to come to a, America. Your family found work. And you studied hard in school. Was that, was that a natural thing to you? Were you always a studious uh, child? <laughs> um, I've always liked math. Uh, <laughs> so to answer your question, for some reason, I just always did. And I really am, again, so much of who you are, it's out of your control. Like I happen to have a dad that um, my mom wasn't very educated. She only got to finish fifth grade, as you just heard. And my dad was able to finish high school, which at that time in Hong Kong, it's, it's quite educated, you know? So, and he was passionate about education and he really just wanted to focus on that for me. And he was really good about not forcing anything or not make it boring. So he would make it fun, teaching me how to memorize phone numbers and <laughs> different things like that. And so I remember winning the math award when I was in kindergarten and having that be a part of my life even early on. And I started to compete pretty actively all throughout middle school and high school, did math competition ever since I moved to the U.S. From I mean, This is one of the great things about America. <laughs> So I forget, I, they might take place in the UK, these things might, but I've never heard of a maths competition before. Forgive my You're ignorance. missing out, friend. <laughs> yeah, so you, I've heard of it through movies. Um, so you were a mathlete, is that, is that right? Is that the term? That is actually the club I was in, mathlete, yes. <laughs> so what's and, a maths competition look like? Like, okay, oh, six, eight, oh, first person to say 48. Oh, it's so fun, you're missing out, so. <laughs> We would do all of that. So you have your, you know, individual exam where you're given 60 minutes. You have 30 questions. If you go, you know, as fast as you can, as accurately as you can. And then you have relay and you have team. Uh, For relay, as you can imagine, you're literally sitting one kid after another. And then after your math question, you pass it back and they need your right answer to get the second question. Oh. And you're on, so there's a lot of pressure. If you messed up, you're meshing up the last three. And then, of course, there's team, and you grab the question, and you're doing it really, really quickly, and you raise your hand as fast as you can when you get it. And I've not, I did that for six years. So you're probably not surprised to hear um, Then that is what led me to go to MIT. <laughs> and I really enjoyed my time there as well. But all of that was, you know, was never part of the plan it was out of control out of my control but it was kind of cute that 
years later, my mom found a postcard from when I was six years old where she came alone to check out you, the United States to see if one day maybe it would make sense for her to move there. She sent my dad a postcard from MIT and it actually said like maybe our daughter can go here one day. Wow, that's awesome. Never knew that. Yeah, what ambition. Amazing. So MIT Mega University, you graduated with honours. You went for a career in finance. And uh, how was that? What did, did you, do you enjoy what you do? And, and, and how long have you been doing it now? Yeah, so I think it's because I never planned to do that. That's why it's easier for me to give. It wasn't like I had, you know, I see a lot of the students now and I admire how much they knew what they want to do at such a young age. I honestly didn't. I interned as a sophomore on Wall Street because I figured in my junior year, I'll do my big, you know, engineering degree internship and I will go do that for the rest of my life. And I ended up really liking it. So I actually graduated a year early, my junior year, to try this thing out, quote unquote, for two years and think, you know what, after two years, I'll be 23. If it doesn't work out, I stole a year, no harm, no foul, and I'll go do whatever I want. Maybe I'll be an engineer. Maybe I'll go to uh, get my master's. And that was 15 years ago. <laughs> so now I've been doing the same thing with the same job I started in at the same firm uh, for the last 15 years. You had a few promotions, I imagine. <laughs> yes, I have had a few promotions, yes. <laughs> Amazing, so you're still, you're still in the world of uh, Wall Street and finance and all these things I have absolutely no idea about, but I want you to connect that world for me to, to the philanthropy you're involved in, to the, to the giving you're involved in, to very much the area of the world that, that has your heart. Can you help me connect those dots at all? I don't know what my life would have looked like if I don't, if I only just get to do finance, you know? And, and of course having finance in addition to my really fulfilling nonprofit and justice life um, has allowed me to take a lot of crazy radical risk. Mm. So I really see it as a, like the virtuous cycle of one thing leading to another. Like I was saying earlier, I've always felt this excitement and passion and interest to, to give back um, from the kids in China, I've seen in China to the stray cats, you know, to uh, coming over and, and starting to tutor and mentor uh, during college. You know, I went to a, a uh, little community center that was for underprivileged communities um, right outside of MIT that I would volunteer, you know. But I think all of that was just like, you know, little built up, which is extremely important. I always say, Mother Teresa says, when you can't feed a hundred, just feed one. The cultivating of this habit of generosity, integrity, kindness is so important that there is really no such thing as giving that is too small or kind, you know, act of kindness that's too small, right? So I know that those are all really important. And for people that have kids, like start cultivating early. For me, the big, probably big moment of realizing this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, this double life and leveraging my network and, and living in a life of abundance of generosity and um, stretching myself was in South Africa when I served at this orphanage for two weeks with kids that are HIV positive or lost their parents to HIV. 
Um, I was in my mid twenties. It was, you know, going so far away to an orphanage. I have like really no, like really no stable access of water or electricity sometimes. Of course, like being in an orphanage is like a very different experience than anything I've ever, ever imagined. And also, I mean, even just like taking two weeks off of work, it's really scary when you're in your mid twenties. And, but I just kind of took that big first leap of faith and that trip really allowed me to see that A, the idea of much is given, much is demanded. I'm grateful that I've always had mindset of gratitude. I think it's something that was just implanted probably from our faith, but also from being an immigrant. But it was seeing like, just being grateful is not enough. You know, I wanted to unleash that gratitude. And I know that a life of radical gratitude leads to a life of radical generosity. So I saw, especially because of the way that these girls live, like some of these girls, 13, 14, 12 years old, at the end of my trip, join a little committee on their own and wrote this really sweet letter to me asking, Andy April, like we've loved our time with you. But there are a few things that we would love to ask you and see if you could help us. And as you read through the list, everything was actually for a friend of theirs at school, for their friend's little brother who had been hungry, for their friend's family who lost a roof to a storm, just everything. And I just went crazy with them. We went to a shopping center nearby. We bought so many things, spent so much money in a, in a grocery store and just went hot to hot to hot and delivered it. And man, those conversations, those experiences, the feelings that I got, seeing people like the family of seven or eight living in a hut. And I'm like, just like, who am I? And who are my people that I get to give like this? Who am I? I'm just like a 25, 26 year old immigrant girl. Um, and yeah, I think that was the moment where I said, okay, God, like I want to do this for the rest of my life. So does that mean doing this full time, part time? I don't know, but I'm ready to surrender to whatever it is that you have for me. And then the next few years was kind of trying to figure out all of that. And I really honestly quit, almost quit my job in finance, wanting to do this full time. I was quite surprised to hear whether it be the guy who actually ran the orphanage in South Africa saying sharing with me his own experience as staying to be a bit more senior as an engineer before he left and asking about God's timing um, I also had really good friends in the church that said I mean of course I would support you if that's what you want to do but for some reason I, I feel like you're called to the trading floor and I'm like what mm. What does that mean? And what does that look like? And then the next few years, I slowly discover what that looks like. And I'm still seeing it. I think those experiences are so formative, aren't they? And when you, mm-hmm. when you encounter um, need, and you realize that you can be a part of bringing relief to that, it's, it's remarkable. And I think you have to remind yourself, like, you, it's so easy to forget about it. At that time, you feel compelled to respond uh, different times people's lives when you, you encounter real need and you think I can probably help you but we have to remind ourselves don't we because we get surrounded in our lives I, I, I can certainly talk for myself I can't talk for you April but I need to regularly sort of give myself a bit of a kick and be like hey listen why are you doing this why are you doing this you don't need more stuff you don't need um, you know to amass more wealth you need you need to be reminded of the fact that this is you need to pass it on you know like like you so so beautifully described and I also thought it's worth pointing out what what I know you believe to be true and as do I is it's very easy to think of being generous to poor people as if we're, we're in a position of power 
you know and like you quite rightly identified like uh, you know it's not for us to just just to expect that, that to be the way around right but what i love about um being generous and 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 serving and going and doing is that you meet people that are actually way more generous than you are right mm-hmm. out in the place where you think you're going over there to help oh, them and they're the ones going door to door going let's help these people right and that's oh, like that's like true generosity when they don't have anything but what they have they give to you and that's what it's like okay now this is the relationship i need to be aware of it's not me the the white guy coming over to help out the poor people it's actually these are the people with with, with, with the most generous lives i want to learn i want that radical generosity you know Oh my goodness, totally. I, gosh, I have so many memories of that and seeing the radical generosity. I remember my first trip to Haiti and this amazing woman who was in her mid-70s, she's been running this orphanage for 50 years and it was in a really, really remote part in Haiti where when we flew into Port-au-Prince, we had to take another small plane, this like little 1965 Cessna then drive another two hours to get to this orphanage. And this woman just been doing this work for 50 plus years. And I remember just seeing the way that it was set up. And I wonder like, how do you do this? Like, how is it that you can stay sustainable, alive, like supporting all these kids? And she always just said like, oh, it's, it's from God. Like, it's just how Jesus provides. And I remember the, like literally like two days before we were leaving, she had this little, little chicken farm, which is a really generous description. It had like nine chicken in it. And she insisted on killing a chicken for us for lunch and dinner and, you know, all the meals that day. (laughs) And we were like, please do not do that. Do not do that. Do not do that. Like you need the eggs for these kids. Like I was getting like upset that she was going to do this. And she's like, this is my country. This is my home. If I want to treat you as my guest, I, I need to. And A, that was radical generosity of her doing that and just taking that leap of faith. And that was something that I was just felt so undeserving of, right? But then two, this is when I see like generosity contagious and also like God provide in just crazy ways. The next day, I kid you not, she comes out of her room after talking to somebody on the phone at like 6.45 in the morning, just like sobbing, sobbing. And I was like, what's going on, Mommy Leo? And she said, girls, this is why I tell you Jesus provides. This is why, like, you know, God sees us and he loves me. Uh, Completely randomly, a woman in Jamaica was praying for her. And as she was praying the night before, and she, like, felt the Holy Spirit leading her. And long story short, she called Mommy Leo without even hearing our story and said, I ordered 40 chicken for you to pick up in Port-au-Prince in three weeks. <laughs> and I've just had so many stories like that, both of generosity, but also just how it's contagious. And this woman just wants to give to her because she knows she's giving. Yeah. I love it. And I can only imagine that experience of watching the poor chicken lose its head led you to start the vegan restaurant, right? Exactly. <laughs> I had the very best cheeseburger. I always tell people this. The very best cheeseburger I've ever had was at the bar at PS Kitchen in, in downtown New York. That's so it was amazing. And Thank I had, you. I had to be convinced it was 
um, it was plant-based because it, it looked it even looked like meat. It wasn't just like a, a portobello mushroom in a bath. It was it looked like a big juicy burger. I don't know what sort of witchcraft goes on in that kitchen. <laughs> it's witchcrafters. It's a miracle. Yeah, I've had friends. It was really funny. Our and our opening party, who's been a long-time vegetarian, she took a bite and she threw it out immediately and freaked out. We had to tell her, no, 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 it is. I promise you, that was not me. <laughs> it was superb. So why don't, why, why don't you tell me about uh, PS Kitchen? Yeah, thank you. So, you know, sometimes people ask, like, why did you start this nonprofit restaurant? And like, I really can't explain it without going back to the last 10 years of going to this orphanage in South Africa, going back the next year and starting to see like, man, I, there's nothing I can ever do with my time, with my money. That's going to be as worthwhile and, and fulfilling and exciting and everything, everything great and good about being alive as what I've just gone to experience, you know, what am I going to buy? And that's kind of how I decided to live my life since that point on. Um, capping our own income, um, even working on Wall Street or dedicating a good amount of our free time to this kind of work, going on various trips for our vacation, et cetera, et cetera. Now, really, I'm not wanting to, I'm not trying to be self-congratulatory on those things. And I just want to share that openly because I really want people to experience it. And it's truly a get-to. So after my first two trips to South Africa, I went on then my first uh, 15, 16 trips to Haiti. At first, I was also volunteering in an orphanage, just like a lot of young women that are, you know, part of these works sometimes might start with. And But as I start to see how a lot of these orphans are economic orphans and their parents are still alive, and I've even seen it with my own eyes, an 18-year-old woman trying to leave her one-year-old while she was crying. And I knew that that's not what she wanted, but she thought that was the right thing to do. And that was better off for this kid, or she just had no choice, or she thought she had no choice. But then the orphanage offered, why don't we help by giving you a little job and you can stay here and you have a little bit of money to feed him. And of course she chose to keep him. And that is just one of so, so many examples of what we can do in a place like Haiti, which I have subsequently gone to do a lot of, which is by serving and sitting on the board and donating to an organization called Share Hope, where we create jobs in the garment sector in Haiti, bring in orders from the U.S., and we educate and teach these women to make a lot of items, not just t-shirts, and give them skill sets that are, you know, long-lasting and that they can create their own income through it. We also then, we also then use a lot of the profit um, to fund anywhere from 5,000 breast cancer to cervical cancer screening, sign language classes for the workers that are, um, have hard of hearing, as well as um, high school completion classes. I say all this because as I'm kind of going through these process and we went, we went um, for our honeymoon to Haiti and, and getting to help distribute hearing aids for some of these deaf workers, I saw, gosh, I just want there to be a sustainable source of income that could continue to fund these organizations. Not just mine, not just my husband's, not just like even our close friends. Like how do we make this really, really broad? And secondly, I also saw that a lot of the organizations that I support 
in the U.S. that I volunteer for, like a safe home for women who are survivors of trafficking, people that are coming home from prison. A job is what they all really, really ultimately want. Mm. And people say that, you know, there is, they, they just want the financial independence and their, their own way to support their families. And I also saw how much time, you know, I spend mentoring and tutoring people and helping them with interviews if they didn't get to that last round because of their record or lack of experience, it almost sometimes feels like, man, did our effort just get wasted. So that was kind of the initial thought process of starting PS Kitchen. Let's start a business that donates all the profits to sustain these organizations, but also employ people who might need a second chance. And of course, PS, that it's 100% plant-based, so that it's better for the environment. I love that PS. There's a few PSs, right? You use the PS. Yes, exactly. That's the concept. It's you come in, it's a beautiful restaurant. You don't really think that it's nonprofit. You don't think about all these things. I, you know, sometimes I'm worried that people just assume it's like a soup kitchen. And, but that is just, hey, PS, all these side things that are really not side things. They're actually the core of the restaurant and why we even started it. Yeah, I love that. And April, I just want to encourage you. It was such a such a pleasure meeting you. In that that first time we we met was I was passing, as you know, passing back from the Dominican Republic, coming back to the UK, and uh, I was had this idea, this idea for a coffee company, and I just wanted to use the coffee company as a way of raising revenue for organisations doing great work, and determined that it wasn't going to be a means of making me wealthy it was it's purely a fundraising exercise through a through a product and my friend said you've got to meet this girl i know (laughs) and she runs this restaurant in downtown new york in the theater district off times square and it's amazing and all the profits they give them away and i was like okay i want to meet this person but i had like one day left or i know i sort of shot over there and you so very kindly found some time for me and, and we had a little chat didn't we and uh, but I just loved that model and I love your commitment to it and I know it's not easy I certainly know it now I've got a little bit of experience running a business aimed at, at giving all the profits away it's so hard because um, you know businesses need money and, uh, and and things cost money even if we're not taking a salary it's still yes. <laughs> Flipping hard, isn't it? But um, but I love I love that model. It was very very instrumental in how I I, mm. I, I wanted to set up Blue Bear. So I want to publicly give you that give you a nod there um, because it was it's great timing for me to to have met you and heard heard your story. Massively inspirational for me. And so tell me about some of the stuff you've got. I've heard a few of the stories and they just sound so great. Thank you. And I have to say, yeah, I meeting you. I was deeply moved and I try to come home and retell the story and I was sobbing most of the time and I don't think our roommate or my husband got most of it so you have to retell them one day because I was just like and then and then this happened and there was a bear (laughs) they're like what okay great that sounds uh yeah that sounds great and it's just so amazing what you're doing and I'm so proud to see what you've done with blue bear it's just absolutely amazing and that's the cool thing about doing you know, radical generosity in community is we just lift each other up and encourage each other and say like, this is possible. But yeah, in terms of our staff, in terms of our staff, I, I am so grateful for, for who they are, getting to be a part of their story. Um, you know, a few people that immediately come to mind, 
for example, we had um, we had a dishwasher named Raul, whom you might have seen in the videos of PS Kitchen, and he was in and out of prison for 30 years. He had since then gone to rehab, had really cleaned up his life, gotten married, and just really determined to completely change his life around. But just because you want to doesn't necessarily mean you can sometimes. And he literally had gone through endless interviews over four years of time and just kept getting no's. So when he came to PS Kitchen and we just simply said, okay, well, do you want to start tomorrow? And this like 59 year old man just started sobbing and was like, wait, you're hiring me? <laughs> and to us, like that's the kind of stuff that keeps, you know, keep us going. Um, another person, his name is Sarone. I met him uh, when he was three weeks out, very recently coming home. And we bonded a bit over, you know, his daughter and he was showing me a picture of her and he was telling me that, you know, maybe he start he wanted to start looking for work. And I immediately gave him our card and said, if you want to come interview, like that's literally the purpose of PS Kitchen. Um, we love, we love, love, love to just hopefully be a stepping stone, uh, whatever it is that could be helpful in this time. And he came over and we hired him on the spot. And what's really cool was a few months later, when I went into to um, volunteer as a business mentor in this prison up in uh, Walk Hill, New York. I had no idea that's where Sarone came from. So the board chair was introducing me and a few other board members to the guys that are in there. And when people heard that, and I found out for the first time that I was the one that hired Sarone and he started working three weeks after he came home in Times Square. <laughs> which to some New Yorker that sounds stressful from but for them that was such a cool thing that Sarone worked in Times Square that they gave us like a standing ovation and just all these yelling and screaming and, and cheering and tears I just knew like that was what I was meant to do even though it was really really hard building this restaurant like what you were alluding to it took a lot of time it took a lot of personal wealth it took a lot of tears I thought maybe we could be even bankrupt ourselves for something like this, but um, yeah, it was worth it. Yeah, yeah. I've, you've spoken to me a, a few times about just how close it was to complete bankruptcy, and even recently, um, what with the, the pressures all over the world of the, the, the global health pandemic has brought to all of us, especially the hospitality industry. I know that you've been you've been under real pressure, but you, you've you've pivoted and you've taken the challenge, and you've you've gone out swinging which i love why don't you update me about that yeah it was quite a few months over last few months um after covid i i have to say i've been shocked as to see how much god has provided and how generous people are i think i always felt like this thing it's on me it's on my partner in the business it's like we're going to be the ones that keep funding this to stay, to help it stay open. A few days after we had to furlough a lot of our staff and close the door temporarily because we have to in New York City, I got an unsolicited call from one of my colleagues, a senior woman on our trading floor. And she just said, like, and at that time, like, my mom had actually just suffered a stroke after being a liver transplant patient and a liver cancer survivor. 
And of course the stock market was going crazy. Work was really stressful. And she just said like, Hey, listen, you don't have to say anything. We can see what's happening with PS and in the hospitality industry in general in New York. Um, a bunch of us want to chip in. So tell us what the payroll is and we're going to help you cover. And that was just crazy because I fully expected to suffer that cost, you know, but yet people are just stepping in. Shortly after that, we had a friend of a friend of a friend, literally never met her, reached out and asked if she can help us set up a fundraiser and spread the word to try to raise money to feed medical workers, bring meals there and create some jobs back in PS Kitchen. We end up raising over $100,000 in those few weeks. And we've now since donated like 15,000 meals um, to the Bowery Mission for Homeless People, to a lot of different hospitals. And just the emails I've gotten from these doctors and nurses have just stuck with me forever. That again, is the idea of generosity is contagious. And I would say, we don't even deserve to thank you. It's all the people that have wanted to chip in for this. Yeah, but lastly, I would just say, in terms of like just crazy outpouring of generosity, I've just been surprised left and right and left. And we end up being able to pivot and launch this incredible line of new PS Kitchen Coffee, where the co-founder is a Rwandan genocide survivor himself. And I remember meeting him a year ago and it just stuck with me that even his family is like, what are you doing helping, you know, this other tribe that was really the attacker during the process against his people group. And, you know, for, for, for him, forgiveness is a choice and it's just beautiful redemptive story of so much grace and just how these women in Rwanda, whatever tribe they're from, just like pick up their country and created so many jobs and really bringing flourishing to that part. And what a, what a privilege it is for us to play our small part using our platform to sell their coffee, continue to have all the profits be donated to wherever, help create some jobs in PS and just to keep us going. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. That's one of the things I love most about coffee, that you get to engage with these communities like Ethiopia, Rwanda, Burundi, the Congo. It's amazing, isn't it, that we get to, you can, we're supporting these, these communities simply by buying their product. And I like that relationship that we're not patronizing or condescending. We're giving them the opportunity to to trade with us, that's it. You know, we're, we're taking their amazing product, which is the most delicious coffee. Oh, good. Paying them a fair wage for it. And um, yeah, that's what I love. I love to being able to do the good at source. It's not just about your use of profits and finding those, those victories. I think I, I was doing my research earlier, April, and uh, listening to a number of podcasts over the last 24 hours that you've spoken on. And I think you used the term ROI, uh, which wasn't a term I was, familiar with but I, I understand it and, and it's looking for those I imagine the I stands for indicator does it yeah well it's it's return on investment no oh, I got that wrong then return on investment it must be an American so probably not but 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 it's not all about the balance sheet right it's not all yeah. about that you know where where do we finish what are the decimals saying this year hey that I mean that's great too if you get to that position but just sharing these stories about the lives you've affected in so many different ways it's like now now that's great, you know, now that's awesome. And it's not monochrome, it's not black and white, profit and loss. It's, and it also exemplifies that 
you've got to do your bit and the waves that come out yeah. that, they're kind of out of your control but that's what's beautiful about it right oh my goodness you just yes you just said that so well i think for a while you know as you and i have talked about like it is hard to make money in you know food and and sometimes it could be discouraging of like oh i just work so hard and work so many volunteering hours you know and but then I get to meet someone like Sarone or so many of my staff, right? And also, one thing that I didn't expect that has been crazy encouraging is when you kind of just touch on the idea of like, I really, I've always said generosity is contagious, but I never really got to experience what that meant. And it was a really amazing, you know, side effect of this whole thing is some of the people that are closest to me or even just colleagues that have seen me live through this journey. They know how much I put in. They know the amount of time and the years and going from getting the space to building it out and all the crazy obstacles from the Department of Building where we were considering, do we keep going? Or we were strongly advised to cut our losses short and just walk away and continue to decide to, you know what, we're going to keep going. We're going to give it a try. Um, it's not, it's not really rational, but <laughs> that's what I believe. It's what, what I think it's, it's the right thing to do here. And I've had a lot of crazy stories of people having just kind of seen our lives and then join us and said, Hey, we want in, you know, one funny story is at a work party one year, I was just chatting with someone, a colleague, someone who was more senior than I am. And, you know, he at first was teasing that what I was going to do with the leftover beer money from that night when they said, if people had money left over, you know, give it to Tam so she can go build a well. And off of that, of course, I took the opportunity and said, wow, that's so nice. But you know, it only costs... I use only very loosely there, I know, but I was just trying to jokingly bring up the fact, you know, it costs like $75,000 to build a school in Congo and that educate 220 kids. Maybe it's worth it. Like, and by the end of that party, I actually walked out of a derivatives Christmas party where he said, you know what? Sure, let's do it. You put in 25,000, I'll double it. We'll build a school together. And that's just one of the very many, of course, they're all not to this magnitude, but just generosity story of people saying like, hey, I want in, like, let's do this. Let's build a school. Let's fund these cancer screening. Let's build a new maternity center in Haiti and, and, and so on and so forth. Grateful to be a part of it. That's exactly right, isn't it? It's, it's, it's great to be, be able to be a giver and, uh, and to enjoy the privilege of being able to demonstrate generosity. And, and, and I think I'm really keen, you're very humble, April, but I'm keen for people to know um, this is not a, a super wealthy woman that gives a percentage of her money away and lives in a flipping great big penthouse and gets driven to work in a Rolls Royce. Uh, uh, you really, really um, live out this this lifestyle and I, I kind of feel like I should say it for you rather than uh, ask you to say it but I know that you know you and your husband uh, give away more than you 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 retain and um, for your own salary and 
and you even share your your own accommodation with with people and give you know, multiple times in your life where you've given your your house and your spare room to someone to, to you know that needs a bit of help and it's 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 sacrificial and it's inconvenient that's like that's true generosity as well you know it's not just i've got a bit of spare cash i can throw it over here but like um all all forms of generosity are great but but i do feel like i want i don't want to escape this without people knowing like just what radical generosity mm -hmm. is and and that's not always easy is it yeah i mean thank you for bringing that up no i really really believe in that and i i think it's all of it is so important giving your time getting rid of your energy of course giving your resources um actually i think it's never about just giving the one i i would be i would not be experiencing so much of this joy if it's not getting to give to things that i volunteer at or volunteer things that i give to etc etc you know but no it could be so many ways of being generous uh it's funny we did spend literally over 90-ish percent of our time being a married couple living with other people <laughs> which some people find very odd especially in new york city when the space is already very tight um and my colleagues are usually just don't know but when they do they're wait what did you just say your roommate like your old roommate i'm like no my current roommate <laughs> um but we yeah we love getting challenging ourselves to be generous in, in every way um we sometimes did give out space to people who can't afford it or when they did um charging a really minimum amount where it allows them to save or if it's someone who it's in our industry who just wants to share life together then they give away their rent quote unquote equivalent equivalent to an organization that we believe in etc um so that's been a fun way of challenging ourselves and also it's just a reminder of it's not ours you know everything that we have it's not ours and i also would say like i think some of the reason why the stories of raul and, and other people like that is so impactful it has so little to do with quote unquote the amount of money that it has cost us you know to either start the restaurant to to hire them or even what we have you know helped with financially on their own it's you know the time that i've gone to spend with him the time that i sat down with him and his wife to to help them with some financial literacy getting them counselors when they were facing some trouble um in their marriage like we all do and just doing life together you know and i think those are just some of the most rewarding experience and i would say you know a lot of the most touching stories of generosity to me are definitely not of financial generosity april we're running out of time but i know i normally ask the same questions in closing i'm going to reduce them like three but i'm reduce them to one um which is what what gives you hope for the for the future what what are you hopeful about i love that question you know i like i was saying for a while i think that sometimes in the past i used to feel naively hopeful and wonder is it because i just don't understand how hard it is to make a difference etc but brian stevenson who i greatly admire uh who started equal justice initiative here to fight a lot of the criminal injustice that we see in the US says like 
uh, we can't afford to be hopeless. And I love to just share that with all of us who are passionate about justice out there that, yeah, to just stay hopeful. And I really do believe that the one matters. So it's not about the number. And that's why I always start out by saying the Mother Teresa quote, when you can't feed a hundred, just feed one. And I had a, I have it on my Bloomberg header at work, um, just as a reminder for myself. But I'm excited about what we can do as a social business with this coffee, like you were saying, and also the jobs that we can create everywhere, whether it be through PS Kitchen, whether it be through Rwanda. And at the end of the day, I just want people to copy as much as they want any part of our business model. And we want to be generous with that too. So people can hopefully go and replicate and do more together. Fantastic. How can we help you if people listening that want to contribute and support the work you're already doing, how would they be able to do that? Oh, thank you. Well, if you have friends in the U.S. <laughs> and who also like coffee, of course, coming to our website, that's a great way to help. Just ps-kitchen.com. Um, sharing our story. And I love that, you know, you and I are so like-minded. So a lot of our audience is probably similar. And just, yeah, getting people to be excited about what we're doing is it's so, so helpful already. And of course, if you have any interest to hear more about the work we're doing in Haiti, in Congo, or in the criminal justice system in the U.S., I would love to chat. April, thank you for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. So there you go. That was the amazing April Tam Smith. It just goes to show that even former athletes get called into the world of justice. The word that comes to mind for me when I think of April is not just generous, compassionate, inspiring, but authentic. April is the real deal. She is legit. She has an enormous capacity for love and action. Not also does her response involve giving financially, but also with her time, her home, her holidays, her relationships. April's legacy will be one of radical giving, of bringing opportunity to people who would otherwise go without or be hugely impaired and disadvantaged through their circumstances. That is the sort of life I want to live. It's scary to even say that, and I know at the moment I fall way short, but I aspire to be more like April and her husband and my hope is the more time I spend around people like this hopefully some of that goodness will rub off just like fairy dust you can find out more about PS Kitchen at their website ps-kitchen.com why not get yourself a bag of that amazing sounding coffee certainly put it on your to go to list the next time you visit New York if you happen to get the chance I would highly recommend the cheeseburger. It really is superb. And P.S. It's made from plants. Now, sticking with the subject of generosity. As you know, this podcast is produced by Blue Bear Coffee Co. And Blue Bear exists to support organisations fighting human trafficking and caring for survivors. Well, we are doing a fundraiser for our charities this September. And the theme is eBay for freedom 
What I would love you to do is go hunting through your wardrobes, cupboards, up in your lofts, outside in your garages. Find some items of value which you forgot you even had. Clean off the dust and stick them on eBay or Gumtree or Facebook Marketplace. Please, please, please get involved. Sell some stuff and give to the amazing work that our charity partners are doing in releasing people from slavery all over the world. There is a donation page on our website, www.bluebearcoffee.com. Please find it. Please use it. We want to raise five grand this September. Please help us to smash that target. And if you do, I will love you forever. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Speak soon. Peace.